everyone. Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and a professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. And I'm passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having these sorts of geeky conversations with people about new things. So in this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. This week, I am joined by the founder of Israel Bible Center, Dr. Eli Lizorkin Eisenberg. He has written so many interesting courses for IBC, so it's a little bit of a challenge to decide which course I wanted to highlight here. I finally landed on Jewish Insights into Scripture Part 1, which was so popular it led to a Part 2, but I will try to limit myself to a couple of the gems that are found in Part 1 of the Jewish Insights into Scripture course. Of course, you can find so much more than what we talk about here in the IBC course. I think that the style and the format of this course is really quite unique in that every single session addresses a new story and becomes an invitation to notice ignored details that are in the text. Or Dr. Lee Zorkin Eisenberg explains the assumed cultural landscape of the time, which then allows you to dig up valuable nuggets in familiar stories. You don't have to watch the sessions in order, but you're likely going to find yourself binge watching the sessions as you are drawn into the excitement of what you are learning. So in the podcast, this is only a small taste of what is available in the full course. I started this conversation by observing that a lot of students have taken this particular course and I asked if it was one of the first ones that he created for IBC. Actually, it was not one of the first courses I started to develop. It uh, came along more in the middle, I should say, of development of close to 40 or more by now, various courses that we've developed. And I don't think that this is necessarily foundational. It is, it is a fantastic course, and I hope if you take it, and when you take it, I'm talking to the student, I hope you agree with me. But I think there are so many courses uh, that we have that could be, on one hand, called foundational, and on the other hand, be really one of maybe 15 or 20 courses Mm -hmm. that are um, really that good and covering so many topics with with the depth of insight that we haven't seen before. There's like all these little nuggets. It's such a gem of a course because it's each segment is such an interesting take on these insights that are maybe not commonly talked about in the Western church anyway. Yeah, well, I remember when I was many, many years ago, when I was uh, mentored by a pastor of a New York church, his name was was, um, uh, Reverend Ronald Weinbaum, terrific, terrific, terrific man. And I remember when I was, um, you know, 20 years old or 20 something years old, I uh, rented a room from him for three years. And so, so we engaged in many, many conversations. And very often, I would try to sell him an idea, an interpretation from the scripture. That after a while, he just said, listen, you, you just have to come up with something that's just the opposite 
of what we're thinking uh, <laughs> after a while. And, and, and after a while, I, I started thinking, this seems to be actually exactly what I'm doing. And this is exactly how I'm getting to it. Now, to <laughs> spice this up a little bit, is there is a, another great mentor of mine, Professor Daniel Boyarin of UC Berkeley. You might be thinking, can anything good come out of Berkeley? And I don't know, <laughs> but uh, certainly Professor... Robert Alter is at Berkeley. We love Robert Alter. That's true. That's true. There's many wonderful people in, in Berkeley. And many, many <laughs> but anyways, Daniel Boyarin is certainly um, fascinating, perhaps one of the most fascinating scholars living in the 20, still living, still with us, thank God, in the 20, uh, 20th and 21st century. In any case, one time I had a marvelous privilege to be taken out to lunch by Daniel Boyarin. And I asked him, I said, um, I said, I said, Daniel, how, how do you arrive to this seemingly always new envelope pushing ideas of yours. He says, well, you know, my mother told me this in the beginning, she says, when, when I was a kid, that I used to do the same thing in a childhood, he's telling his story, is that I would take a theory and then I would think about what's the opposite of this theory. And then he says, what I would do is I would check both the normal explanation and the exact opposite of the normal explanation, he says, and I was after a while amazed how many times the explanation that was the opposite of the traditional uh, interpretation actually had more evidence. You know, you told me that, um, you know, I, I know this is coming up, that you do want to talk with me about the Samaritan woman, but this is a prime example. It is true. We will be discussing the Samaritan woman, but you will have to wait a couple weeks for that conversation. I did not want Dr. Ellie to get off track too soon. We are still only covering the basics of the course, and it is really informative to hear him talking about forcing yourself into willingly engage familiar stories from a new perspective. But as you'll see, Dr. Ellie is not dogmatic about his ideas. He's just inviting you into the excitement of discovery. That explanation you were just giving about looking at the exact opposite of the explanation, it kind of goes with the description of your course, Jewish Insights into Scripture, because on our website, it says, be ready to have the traditional interpretations of familiar passages discussed and often challenged to the core. Yeah, of course, we, 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 don't, um, we don't mention... Uh, all the wonderful traditional interpretations that are actually true. So, in other words, this is not um, uh, a course that is somehow anti-traditional. Yeah. This is um, this, this, this is course uh, anti-fake news in the Bi in the Bible interpretation, really. Okay. So, as long as the tradition sticks to the biblical guns, we don't mind it. We don't need to challenge it. The moment it departs and we catch the mistake, we'll tell you. Yeah, so I think it's great because it it helps people feel comfortable with challenging maybe preconceived ideas, which is always mm -hmm. a good practice for us to have. 
So I think we should practice this. And of course, we can't go through all the gems that you have in your course. So I'm just going to choose one okay. or two, and then people can go take the course and, sure. and go through everything else. So one of them, because I think this is really interesting because we are dealing with a translation issue and a cultural issue that yeah. is unintuitive for people if they're doing a plain reading of the text. So this one is from Luke 14, 26. Jesus is walking. Crowds of people are following him. And he seems to just randomly turn around and tell the crowds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What on earth, right? It seems like Jesus is telling everyone to hate every valuable family member. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. So help us kind of look at this in a new way. I think the traditional way of looking into this actually, believe it or not, arrives this time to perfectly fine conclusion. And that is in comparison for your love of God, your love for your human love for your family could be called hate, okay? So uh, so something like that. So basically, uh, traditional interpretation says, listen, this is a matter of priority. Uh, this is not really meant. Jesus didn't really mean to say that you must hate, okay? It's the issue of priority in comparison. So, so it actually, in this case, in traditional interpretation, arrives, I think, to me, um, more or less to, 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 to the right conclusion, to the conclusion that I also reach, but a different way. And this insight actually comes, originally comes, and I don't know where he's got it from, but, but it originally comes from the late Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, uh, one of his yeah, one of his best books called Not in God's Name. That's it, Not in God's Name. Everyone, after signing up for this course, should go get the book. I'll put a link down in the episode yeah, notes of a, that it's episode. It's a fantastic, fantastic book. And um, what, he, what he points out there is, um, is that the word uh, sonne, uh, the, the Hebrew word that we today translate uh, pretty much only as um, to hate, used to mean to love someone less, at mm. least in some biblical circumstances. You could see this. You could see this in the case of uh, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Yeah. And the reason for this is because when you're walking through the Torah and you're seeing this, this um, two brothers fighting it off with one another, actually you are finding yourself as a reader, rooting for Esau, not for Jacob. It is Esau that is a hardworking, honest man. He's the one without a guile. He's the one, he, he's the one that is making it by himself and fighting for his future. And he's the one that is graciously receiving his brother Jacob, who uh, attempted to dispossess him who did all imaginable, every imaginable thing possible to be a bad brother, not to be his brother keeper. It's actually Esau that 
is full of compassion and grace. He doesn't destroy Jacob. That's exactly what Jacob was afraid of. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when he stayed behind. And at that point, whoever it is that he wrestled with um, made it clear to him that he cannot continue to be a liar and a coward. He must he must meet his brother Esau. And so so Esau is, yeah, Esau makes mistakes for sure, but who doesn't? But it's Esau that is attractive personality in the Torah. It's not Jacob, actually. Uh, now, Jacob, you, you fall in love with Jacob as well. But in many ways, we as uh, people that uh, that fall, we uh, associate ourselves with Jacob better because of that. It's actually just the other way around. So how is it possible to say that God has loved Jacob? Now, that's possible, of course, but why would he hate Esau, all right? For a few mistakes that he made with marrying a wrong woman? Perhaps, but, but it should bother people, really. However, if you look at this, as uh, Rabbi Sachs has pointed out, that very often in the, uh, in the biblical Hebrew, this word did not mean hate. It meant mm. loving someone less. Mm. Of course, we see this in other topics as well. And so, so we arrive in this case to essentially the same conclusion as the traditional interpretation does. Right. Yeah. It sort of arrives to it a bit the wrong, not a wrong way, but just a different way. Right. It's, um, it's both a cultural and a language um, issue, right? And again, there's so many of us, not everyone listening to the podcast, because we have people around the world listening to it from different cultural vantage points. But so many of us come from a Western standpoint where it's an individual decision and love and hate are very emotional. And the Hebrew Bible is just different in its use of love and hate. Even love is devotional, is trustworthy more than it is like an issue of the heart. Yeah. And, you know, perhaps the way to look at this is to say mm, not necessarily that the Western way is this way and the Eastern way is is that way. Because, you know, in in the Bible, uh, whether you take the book of Genesis or you you take its later editions Mm -hmm. and editings here and there, the Bible has gone through variety of sort of locales. Uh, and different kinds of people under inspiration of God's Spirit really touched its texts, so to speak, and shaped its text in its, in its finality. Uh, and so it, it is more that this concept is not uniform. So I, I think there are verses in which actually you could translate it as today our Western individualistic or not hate, you know, mm. but, but not in all times. And and mm. so and maybe 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 this is really the touch that we need to see here is that nice. uh, it has other kinds of transla- uh, translation options and this is the case um, very very often uh, we must not be afraid to say that this is a translation option so for example in. Uh, Romans chapter 11, and I don't think you were planning to, to talk about that, but the famous verse that the uh, about the branches representing the Jewish people that would be broken off. You know, it's interesting. Uh, not only the Greek, the, the Judeo-Greek doesn't say broken off. It just says broken. Not o- and not only does it say broken, this is just one translation option. The other translation option is bent. Now, there is a world of difference between broken off 
and bend. Right. My, the difference is like, you cannot be, this cannot be more different. So, so I think, uh, and of course, in the Bible interpretation, listen, uh, we should not come down too hard, I think, on the self-sacrificing uh, many, many, many years worth of heavy-duty work of the Bible translators throughout the century. Mm -hmm. So these men and women, mostly men, are um, heroes of the faith, really. They're heroes of the faith that have done uh, uh, an enormously, an enormously important work for uh, for the body of the Jewish Christ, for sure. But that, but they will be the first ones to tell you that there were times when they did not know what to choose, which option to choose. And they picked one option because they thought it fit, it fit better, fit better into the theology as they saw it. You know, I think honest people will say this to you. There is no shame in that. Uh, in that way, you know, a truism that we all know about is that every translation, uh, by definition, has interpretive mm -hmm. quality to it. So if we are looking at this Luke 14 passage and we're thinking what Jesus potentially then is telling the crowd is, if you want to be a disciple, if you really want to follow me, you have to love me more than you love mother, father, children, and your own life. Yeah, even more, which is which is why I said that, uh, you know, the traditional Jewish Christian interpretation that I've heard about for many years is essentially right. There's nothing wrong with this. I, I think there are many, uh, this is just an example of how you can arrive to, to the truth via um, really a, a Hebrew word studies inside. It makes it, in a sense, a richer component, you know, um, such as, for example, when you start connecting various Hebrew words. Hebrew is a root language. And so, and those of you who are just starting out uh, to study Hebrew, the st students of ours that are uh, that are hearing this podcast or, or prospective students, I think you will be absolutely amazed, absolutely amazed how some words in Hebrew could be connected while in English there does not seem to be any connection at all, such as the word for a womb that gives birth to a child is rechem, rechem. The word for mercies, mercy, is essentially plural of that. Rachamim. So what's the connection between the womb and the mercies of God? I don't have to explain it to you, but but unless you know that it's got the same connection, the same root, we will not see in English any meeting between these two concepts, right? Or take the uh, Hebrew word for, uh, for a large road, kvish. The word likbosh, the same exact root, essentially the same exact word, but in verb, uh, means to conquer. What's the difference? What's the connection here? Well, this connection perhaps is more obvious, right? Because in the ancient Near East, if you want to go, uh, if you want to go to Africa, to Europe, to Asia, this is why everyone is fighting for this small piece of land because this is the uh, this this is the way through. This is money. Whoever controls the road. He is the conqueror. 
You're speaking my language. Yeah. Okay. Therefore, the word, the word for a, 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 a trade, a trade highway is the word for a conquered place. I really should bring that into my course when I talk about all the roads, the highways oh. and byways, the major roads. I'm going to borrow your insight there. You could write it down. Give me credit. If you do not read or speak Hebrew, Israel Bible Center can help. Professor Shear teaches several courses that not only introduce you to the basics of biblical Hebrew, but also coach you through reading Hebrew scripture, scrolls, and prayers. It is such a great opportunity to engage a new language in a low pressure kind of environment. Let's get back to Luke and what seems to be another related conversation. In Luke 9, It's actually mentioned in Matthew 8 as well. But in Luke 9, a man offers to follow Jesus wherever he will go. And yet when Jesus extends the invitation, the man says, sir, first let me go and bury my father. Now this seems like a reasonable request, but Jesus replies, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This is where things seem a bit cryptic. So I asked Dr. Ellie. It's, it's one of those texts that either a believer has to find an answer for that's reasonable, or he has to, he or she has to, so to speak, uh, stick his head into a sand and <laughs> pretend it's not there. Because those things are, uh, there are some truly embarrassing and disturbing things such as this encounter but i want to go back for a second to that um hating your hating your father uh hating your father and mother you see when we ask this question what does jesus mean by hating what we don't understand i think or don't give enough of the weight to this question is not only what does it mean but how absolutely ungodly it sounds Mm. just unbelievably ungodly because uh yes you are not commanded to love your uh your father and mother that's true you're commanded to to honor them but uh honoring is the direction of love it is not dishonoring that is the connection of hate by the way while i'm here you know they say that uh, they say that how do you know that you're getting old? That's when you sit down to tie the shoelace, and then you say, "What else I can do while I'm here?" So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so the question, the the issue with honor and dishonor is a beautiful comment. Let me just make this because I can't pass this by. This is so beautiful. No, do it. Um, so the honor, and we've heard this actually in churches. This is one of those Hebraic insights that kind of made it into many churches. The word um, honor has this, is kavod. It, 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 its root meaning basically is heaviness. Someone who is essentially something or someone that is, sort of has its its firmness it stands on its own feet it's not bubbling it's not it's not uh, it's not wobbling it's not easy to easily move it's it's got the heaviness and so we are to treat the parents as people with that kind of essential weight you know right we even say this in english this should not be taken lightly right exactly That's the opposite of this 
Okay, that's the opposite of this. Now, the opposite of honor is dishonor, of course, right, in, uh, in English. And in Hebrew, the word for, uh, for dishonor, if I'm not mistaken now, is kalon. I think it's kalon. But the point is that it comes from, the, from the, another root word that means kal, which means light. Okay, so it's this, it's this play on words of light and heavy. Now, interesting thing is that to curse someone, there's two different Hebrew words that could be used. One word is pronounced something like aor, which means I will, uh, something like I will utterly destroy you. This is back to Genesis 12. Um, when God speaks about whoever blesses you will be blessed, whoever curses you will be cursed. What's interesting is that when we, re when we read this text in English, we miss out completely on what they, what's there in Hebrew text. Because in the Hebrew it says, whoever blesses you, I will bless. But whoever, and it uses the word lekalel, Whoever curses you in the sense of treating you lightly, dishonoring, the opposite of kavod, I will utterly destroy. So in other words, in, he, in, in English, we don't see this. We think, I will bless those who bless you and those who will curse you, I will curse. But that's not what it says. I, I, it says, I will bless those who bless you and those who will treat you lightly, I will utterly destroy. It is an entire different, I don't know how I got there, but I have an ADD and it helps me. It helps me and I'm proud of it. And people love it because one thing connects for me with another. Now, That's right. You wanted me to talk about something else. You wanted me to talk about how when a young man, presumably he was young, and Yeshua tells him to, to follow him. And he says, I would do that. I just need to take care of one thing. I need to go and bury my father. And Jesus says at this point, no, which is already a shocker, a shocker. Let the dead bury the dead. You come with me and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what's so problematic here? Well, again, it's the issue of honoring of a father, honoring of a father. There is nothing in the Jewish tradition that is considered to be so important of an honor as to accompany departed person to his or her grave, especially when this is the this is a person of a fatherly relationship to you. So so forget about how terrible this sounds to us moderners, okay? But it sounds almost triple. To, to the ancient Jewish ear. Now, other than that, the traditional Christian interpretations that I, I, interpretation that you most likely heard. Now, perhaps you've heard others, and it's very possible that you've heard mine also. Who knows? Whether it's right or not, I don't know for sure. I will let you decide, okay? But, I, but to me, it makes sense. And so you be the judge. So basically, the traditional interpretation um, has something like this. Young man's father uh, just died. And uh, Jesus happens to have a bad timing here, calling him to, uh, to 
uh, you know, to do this very important ministry with him of preaching uh, of the of the good news. Okay. Uh, now, uh, he, obviously, uh, the man, uh, the young man, wants to first bury his father and then come and do this. Now, Jesus says to him in this case. Now, I'm paraphrasing in terms of meaning, is that Jesus says, listen, as much as the human and physical relationship of a fatherhood and sonship is important, but there are paling in comparison to the even greater importance of a spiritual things of which I am about. And so I am inviting you young men to leave to leave the burial of your deceased father to physical people, the dead people, uh, they're spiritually dead. And so let them take care of such a minute, less important physical material. I'm exaggerating, of course. Now, for this explanation, you need to be familiar with the way to bury people in the first century. And if you've been to Israel, you've likely seen the graves and significantly the ossuaries or the bone boxes. So when people died, they were placed in something like a bench inside of the family tomb. And after the flesh and the muscles decomposed, the bones were gathered and placed into the ossuary and set in another part of the tomb. So back to Dr. Ellie's description. Now, the first stage would be when the person is deceased, he would be placed, by the way, not by children, not by relatives, but by special Jewish workers that are trained in the biblical laws regarding burials. I don't know what they were called in the first century. I have a suspicion. But I do know that today, in the modern Hebrew, we call them kavranim. Kavran is someone who works with kever, a grave, a graver, basically. So, so you had this special class of people that knew how to touch, what not to touch, what to say, how to do this. It wasn't the family members that were essentially doing the burials, okay? And this was the case of the first burial, and it was the case with the second burial as well. My suspicion is that they were called some Aramaic or Hebrew word that in Greek got translated and then translated into English as the dead people, as the dead. And so my hypothesis is that when Jesus is saying to the young man, let the dead bury the dead, he's saying to him, listen, do not use this excuse that your father has died long time ago. And he's now going through this period of essentially decomposition. First of all, it's not you who's going to be doing this anyway. The gravers will do the job, the, the, the bone carriers so to speak, will do the job. The dead will bury the dead. You come and proclaim the kingdom of God. Why was this also so important to come and proclaim the kingdom of God now and not next year? Is because the year that Yeshua came was the exact year of the Jubilee. 
So it, it couldn't be before, couldn't be after. So those are, the, those are the kinds of enormously important insights that you will find all over Israel Bible Center. So now I am, um, I'm inviting you, I'm inviting you really to come and, and really swim in the ocean of amazing amount of insights, whether you found it in my course or you found it in other courses that are on the amount of insight. And friends, I have to tell you this, that uh, we have developed a lot of courses after I have taught mine that when I start listening to them, I'm saying, wow, let me just sit down and write this down, okay? Now, many of you that actually are familiar with my books, familiar with my work, saying, oh my gosh, he's so smart. Well, that's true, but imagine if I sit down and say, oh my goodness, what an incredible insight. Dr. Scheiser, Dr. Parker, Professor Scheer, um, Dr. Shia Gruber, what a profound Inside, I've got to write this down. So just imagine, just imagine how you too would be uh, inspired by the kind of things that you can harvest at Israel Bible Center. As a thank you for listening to the podcast, when you register for a course, use the coupon code ISRAEL and you'll receive a free surprise. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds that you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible. Bible.